On this episode of the show, we discuss the Book of Henry. Wait, I thought we review movies, not books, guys. Classic stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And we're in Toronto. That's a lot of cheering. That's a lot of cheering. I'm uh, really glad I pitched you in the bit this time. <laughs> Stuart was like, Stuart was like, I got a bit. Just let yeah. me do it. Well, like, don't worry, I got this. I, got this I believe one, you guys. said you were like, strap yourselves in, because this is gonna be like the old Maxell commercial where the guy almost gets blasted out of a chair. And you guys, at this point, I, my track record is perfect. I've never let you down with a joke. <laughs> never, <laughs> never happened. All right, let's uh, get into the actual show. And three, two. <laughs> What, uh, what are you doing? What is, what is that? You, you like stirring something? What is... I figured if I, did it, uh, if I did it faster, Dan would go faster. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Yeah! 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 And we are live in Toronto. Toronto. They... And... As everyone knows who's listening to this, Toronto is the home city of everyone's fifth favorite rideable Star Wars animal. Toronto, I got it. Yeah. Solid number five. I understand. You're probably wondering what the other ones are. Number one, (laughs) Tauntaun, naturally. Yeah. Number two, Dewback. And I'm not talking the CGI special edition Dewbacks. I mean, the Dewback that sits in the background, it doesn't move. Number three, that robot-headed thing that almost steps on Rey in Force Awakens. Okay. I don't know if it's an animal wearing a helmet or it's some kind of cyborg beast. I just know I want to ride it. Number four, that Strider from The Dark Crystal. Not a Star Wars movie, but who knows? Maybe. (laughs) Disney owns all that stuff. Maybe it's part of one universe now. And Captain America shows up. And number five, the Ronto, bred here in Toronto. I would like to say that I am genuinely amazed that you were able to come up. You started that bit. And then you jumped in, like, it was like you were jumping into a pool that was not filled. And somehow before you hit the water, like, it just sprayed in there. Yeah, I just peed enough in there to fill it up. (laughs) Yeah. Swim around in it. All right. Banthas are, someone yelled out, what about Banthas? Banthas are great. They're a (laughs) solid. uh, who, Bill Murray's in that? (laughs) What about Banthas? (laughs) They're a solid number six. It is too easy to be killed by Imperial troops while riding Banthas, and their tracks are too easy to counterfeit by Imperial troops. So that's why they're number six. Otherwise, they'd be much much higher up. Thank you. All right, your logic holds together. Again, they also lose points by the fact that people don't have... What do we do on this here podcast, Dan? (laughs) Uh, They they lose, and this is not the Bantha's fault, they lose lose points by the fact that Bantha is the same in Huddy as, as in English. So it just reminds me when I think of them about how lazy the huts are. Uh-huh. So what are we doing on this podcast, Dan? Dan's checking his fucking Instagrams. <laughs> uh, this is a podcast where we uh, watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And in this case, we watched a movie called The Book of Henry. And it's appropriate that you talk about Star Wars because this is a movie that probably lost the director a Star Wars movie. Now, guys, 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 you just said we watched The Book of Henry. 
but that's a book. <laughs> All right. <laughs> call back. Brilliant call back really? to a brilliant joke. This that's isn't a, a library just, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hammering the same joke. <laughs> like Hammerhead, I a.k.a. Momon Adon from the Star Wars movies. <laughs> okay. Dan, you're trapped between a guy who thinks this is a podcast about saying things are books when they're not, and a guy who thinks it's time to bring in Star Wars. Uh, Who's going to win in the battle of the concepts? It's fine. I love it. Uh, So, yeah, Book of Henry, it's directed by Colin Trevorrow, Trevorrow, Mm -hmm. who uh, was directed Jurassic World and was all set to direct Star Wars episode something or other, the saga continues to go. <laughs> I don't know which Star Wars movie it was going to be. But Still a better title than Solo. It's fine. Oh, was it the Solo one? No, no, no. He was going to do, do episode nine. Oh, that yeah. Solo was the one Lord Miller were fired from. Yeah. Episode nine is the one he was fired from. Who's going to be fired from a Star Wars movie next? I can't wait to find out. Is it you? Oh. Con- contest, and contest winners, listen up. Call in and be our hundredth caller and you could be fired from directing a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Imagine how impressed your friends will be when they find out that your vision clashed with that of Lucasfilm. (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen Kennedy said, no, 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 to you. Call 1-800-STAR-WAR-NO, director yes. Hit the pound key, and then the extension 456 for the original trilogy. Press now. Drag it out. (laughs) Uh, But Book of Henry, so this is not a Star Wars movie. It's not even a science fiction movie, or is it? Well... It's certainly fictional. Yeah. (laughs) There's some science in it, right? Uh... There's like a, well, there's medical science and there's like a Rube Goldberg, con- Goldberg. there's a Rube Goldberg contraption, which is, it's a Rube Goldberg contraption. He was Jewish, not a bird. <laughs> okay. It's not Rube Goldberg, which I said. I'm calling myself out on that and I apologize. That'd be, that'd be is a that Rube... a Muppet that I have not Or a with? DuckTales character. Yeah. That would be a great DuckTales character. Uh, um, so what happened in this movie, Elliot? Let's talk about it. Okay, so the opening of this movie. I love, I... Love to derail Elliot right before he starts talking, but even more than that, I love his notes where he he very carefully writes, quote, Book of Henry <laughs> at the top of his notes in case I he said, forgot what we were doing. A long time ago, I said, Dan, one of these days I'm going to get organized, and then I did. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I only started taking notes, by the way, uh, when, we, when I moved to California, and I needed to take notes because I was watching the movies myself. Before that... I was a noteless guy. Yeah. And as a result, I often forgot what happened in the movies. <laughs> no more, thanks to the power of the written word. For millennia, man has been communicating oh, across oceans and across time oh. with future generations through the power of the written word. Letters. Try them. <laughs> <laughs> From the Letters Council, I guess? Yeah. Brought to you by the Global Letters Council. Yeah. A less letter farmers organization? Mm-hmm. Mm, the sweetest letters are grown right from the best soil. He'd <laughs> <laughs> only farm fresh letters. Uh, so anyway, the opening credits of this movie, it's all diagrams and sketches. We're flipping through the pages of a book, perhaps the titular book of Henry. And I have to admit, when the pages first started flipping, I was like, wait a minute, is this a Marvel movie? No, it was not. When the pages started flipping, I was like, guys, we normally review movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're clearly showing us a book. All right. <laughs> that would be a bold move for a movie, is just to be showing you pages from a book and you have to read it. Mm-hmm. And that's the movie. Yeah. And it's like I mean, a book on tape, but it doesn't add anything. 
I assume that's what Dracula Pages from a Virgin's Diary was, right? Incorrect, Stan. That was a ballet film. A Canadian director. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone. That was my attempt at local pandering. <laughs> Look. And it failed. If you guys aren't familiar with Guy Madden, go see his movies, both because they're great and your tax dollars are funding him. So you own those movies. <laughs> Anyway, I imagine Guy Madden stopping you on the highway, and you're like, I pay your salary, sir. Because <laughs> he's a highway patrol officer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's just sitting on the side of the road on his motorcycle, <laughs> writing a script about the sexual tension among a family of ghosts. <laughs> and then he sees me speeding by, and he flips it, he goes, visor down, throws the notes to the wind. Uh, his frequent collaborator, George Tolls, I think his name is, will pick those up. And then off to catch me on his motorbike. <laughs> and that concludes the Guy Madden riff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's all, all the stuff we're seeing in this book is like sketches of machines and a kid in goggles. It's real precocious shit. And there's a voiceover from a kid about how most people are good, but a lot of people are pricks. And sometimes people surprise you, but sometimes they don't. This is over footage of a nerd getting bullied. It's like, thanks, kid, for telling me nothing. That's, thanks for giving me a lot, of, uh, a lot of truisms that cancel each other out. Henry is a, what, 10 He's a kid? young Sheldon, dude. He is basically a young <laughs> Sheldon. Good point. He's, he's of the genus young Sheldon. And uh, his, he's a genius prodigy. And, he, and let's just say one thing before we get into the plot of the movie. He is insufferable. Yeah. But everyone treats him like he's amazing. They're like, Henry... But he's the best of us. But all he does is tear other people down because they're not as smart as There is one thing I know. It's that children love a prodigy. Like, other kids adore when someone is visibly smarter than them. People like uh, kids that stand out. Other kids want to support them so Mm -hmm. he can be their leader. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Henry's class is doing presentations on My Legacy which is one of those assignments I don't think any teacher has ever even considered giving a, giving a student. If I'm wrong, find me after the show. Tell me what you said your legacy would be as a kid. But it allows someone to come up and tell you the theme of the movie before the movie starts. Henry says, hey, he lays some knowledge on the class. One, the first kid is like, I want to be the best dodgeball player ever, and I'll inspire other kids to be better dodgeball players. It's like, okay, he's not aiming Yeah, that's a noble good. pursuit. For a kid, what is he supposed to say? I'm going to yeah. end what's happening in Burma? Like, come on. <laughs> He's a kid. He doesn't watch the news. He's not he's Sylvester been... Stallone. No. Uh, and Henry gets up and he's like, you idiot. <laughs> Henry lays down some knowledge on the class about how we're all going to die. Let's just do the best we can, quote, while we're on this side of the dirt. And it's now, like, yeah, a on. scene like that would normally happen at the end of like a dystopia movie where the main character's like, why do we do this thing? And you're like, I don't know. Why do you do this thing, guys? Why do you have Hunger Games? It seems stupid. <laughs> don't tell me why they have Hunger Games. I just think it's dumb that they call it the Hunger Games. They should call it like, this is it. This is a, an actual problem I have with the Hunger Games movies. Right. The government should call it like the cross-district games or the, yeah. the transnational games. Or the kid-fighty games. Or the kid-fighty <laughs> games. And the peasants should call it the Hunger Games, but the government calls it the Hunger Games. Like they're telling the people, we're oppressing you. <laughs> People don't do... It's the same way people have complained about the Empire calling it the Death Star. It's like, yeah. why are you just owning that you're the bad guys at that moment? <laughs> but, I mean, we, that makes sense for a weapon, like a Hellfire missile or something. Anyway, uh, Henry lays down that knowledge, and the teacher is so impressed. She's like, Henry, you should be in a gifted school. And he says, no, because regular social interaction is important for me at my age. And this was one of many times that I think we were all like, fuck you, movie. <laughs> the, the next time came when the next shot is him calling in his stock trades on the payphone at the school. 
And he's like, hey, I guess it's the good thing about being born during a, during a boom time for the market. And we're like, come on, movie. And he this doesn't is, even put on like a fake old guy voice or anything. No, but you think it's like Whoopi Goldberg and the Associate? Yeah, I mean, but it feels like, I mean, a kid can't just like make stock trades, right? I bet the, the ref looked through the rule book and he was like, nothing that <laughs> says a kid sure. can't make stock trades. <laughs> Fucking Air Bud's going to be making There's a, a dog looking through the ticker tape. Oh, no. <laughs> Tech stocks are dropping. The bubbles burst. Rough. <laughs> Easy's a dog. Um, anyway, at this point, it was like little man Tate, more like little man hate. We hate this kid. That's when mom, Naomi Watts, picks them up, him and his little brother, Peter, who was the kid we were seeing getting bullied on the school bus earlier under the uh, thematic uh, VO. They drive to their leafy suburban street to uh, piano music. Let's not do that anymore, movies. Uh, it's, it's been done. Driving in through suburban streets to piano music. Let's not do that anymore. Uh, Henry and I just wrote That's here, the sort of thing that's introduced early in a movie so that people are like, uh, I, st- I need to make a quick snack bar run. Let me, <laughs> let me do this. Uh, Henry and I had, did not realize the younger brother's name at this point, so my notes just say Glasses Kid. They've been working on a kind of Rube Goldberg-style contraption uh, in their secret wood fort <sighs> with a fire engine door in the woods. Uh, Dan, you had an issue with this. I just hate any time in a movie where, like, kids do a thing that kids are unable to do. Mm-hmm. Like, kids, like... Like in The Incredibles? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Dan, like the Incredibles. Not superpowers, but like when kids are able to rig up elaborate things. Like the entire movie Home Alone is basically that. Or like your son of Rambo's. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just like I've never known a a, a kid to be able to, you know, like have the mechanical knowledge or cleverness to build a Rube Goldberg machine. (laughs) Uh, Even to outwit the the genius that Henry is supposed to be. Well, one, Kevin McAllister, not a prodigy. Yeah. Just a kid who was in a bad situation and needed to figure out how to stop those wet bandits, as Stuart said. <laughs> so named because by the end of the day, they were all wet. Were they going to kill him at the end? I mean, I'm sure there's been talk to death on podcasts, but the wet bandits were going to kill him, they right? Were gonna, That's the yo, they were going to murder that kid. Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Okay, cool. Their hands would be wet with blood. That's where the name <laughs> comes from. <laughs> Well, only because Joe Pesci, you couldn't see it in a lot of the shots, but he's carrying a samurai sword. <laughs> and he knows when he unsheathes it, it has to taste the blood of his enemies, or else he can't put it back in the sheath. It's hungry. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like I hijacked a Stewart joke. No, it's moment. okay. Uh, so, Naomi Watts, it's your classic, it's literally the classic, like, mom who is in awe of her prodigy son, and the prodigy son is kind of keeping them, the family together. They are a very quirky family. Yeah, classic role reversal. While he's doing the banking... She's sitting on the couch awkwardly playing video games. And yes, she plays them like someone who just learned how to play video games for the shoot. She's, she's holding the controller out like it's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> there is a moment, though, where uh, he says to her, Mom, when you move the controller like that, it doesn't actually help you at all. And it's like, technically that's true, but as I said to you guys when you're watching it, anything that gets you into the mind of the character you're playing helps you. It puts yeah. you in the situation. Elliot so, paused the movie and started berating us. I was like, I was like, you guys, I've heard this long enough. It's technically true, but it's not emotionally true. <laughs> so step off, Henry, by which I mean Dan and Stuart. I'm, I'm sorry, I guess. Anyway, the, uh, but it's a quirky family, and they talk in that like, hyper-articulate, girl, hyper-articulate Gilmore Girls style. And the whole time I was thinking, I hope my family is not this quirky to other people, because I have a fairly quirky family, but I hope we don't come off this quirky. Uh, but What's your sitcom title, The Fairly Quirky Family? 
can see it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, pitch it to me. What happens on this show? Uh, Why am I watching? Why am I watching? I got a lot of shows I can watch or stream, or maybe I just sit around looking at a wall. Why I mean, am I you're watching, watching it because you're literally in it. It's, so I'm starring in it. This is what's called narrow casting, Ellie. Okay. <laughs> In the future, every show is going to be pitched at one person in particular. Okay. So and what's so this show is pitched to me? What does it have in it? It's got Sammy. Okay, great. My favorite thing. It's my got son. your wife. Okay, my other favorite thing. It's got you. Not so. Not such much a fan. No. Here's the elements I'm you're missing right now, Dan. If you really want to capture the me market, dinosaurs, vampires, cowboys, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Let's get those four elements in there. <laughs> I'm not saying how you have to put them together. Just get them in there. All right, I'll. I mean, I'll take it back for retooling, and maybe uh, we can make this deal happen. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I don't know how the deal would work exactly. Am I producing the show as well as the audience for it? Yeah. I don't know. I lost track of this role play. Yes. I like uh, that you're retooling a non-idea. <laughs> uh, Naomi Watts says she's a working single mom. She's trying to raise her sons, but Henry is the one who's really supporting the family with his whiz kid financial wizardry, wizardry whiz kid stuff. And you know what? It's like they're more like friends and roommates than family. This is the show, Dan. It's called Book of Henry the Show. But you can't make a show out of this, and we'll get to why. Next door, there's Glenn, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, among other things. Uh, and he has a stepdaughter. Glenn's very nosy and fussy. He has a daughter Henry's age, and let's just say it. Henry is convinced that Glenn is molesting his daughter. <laughs> now, all right, yeah, content warning. <laughs> child abuse, child abuse, and uh, coming up, child death. So, uh, spoiler alert, Dan. Hilarious fodder for a bad movie podcast. All hey, around. You know it's going to be hilarious because she works at a diner with Bobby Moynihan and sassy waitress Sarah Silverman. These two top comedy talents are going to, you know, they're going to make us knee slap and rib tickle. <laughs> but not a lot of jokes for these two. <laughs> they're playing very straight roles for the most part. Anyway, there's a lot of predictable prodigy moments. He beats an adult at checkers in a moment. He does all sorts of stuff. And Yeah, uh, he does the thing where he's like about to get up from the table and his opponent, who's an older, like an older lunch lady or lunch something. Lady, yeah. And she's like, hey, wait, we're not done yet. And then he immediately just like jumps a bunch of things and he's Which like, now you could we're done. See, you could, you're playing checkers. You could see the fact that you can jump three in a row. I mean, like this movie, even when it's aiming like low, it aims lower. Like it could be chess that he's playing. You don't know That's what's the going obvious on. You thing. You don't know what's going on in her life. Maybe she's not really that invested in this checkers game with a kid. <laughs> I mean, she's probably got a lot of problems. She's an older lady who's still working in a service position. She's got a plan for a future. And this kid's like, "Hey, let's play some tre- some checkers, Hilda." And she's uh, like, "I've got to plan these things." <laughs> you don't know that uh, they have, they actually have a lot riding on it to make it interesting. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, he gets extra uh, chicken nuggets. Is the is the bet, and that comes out of her salary. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so he's he's already a villain. Anyway, his his brother is upset with him about something, so he puts on a little playlet in their door frame where he's like a polar explorer using suction cups or using plungers as suction cups to get through a snowy wind made out of like a fan with paper or fluff or something. It's like Dan was it, saying. It's one of these. He, things he where has his hands all over those toilet things. Plungers. Yeah, but they're in a toilet, right? I mean, not the handle, usually. I mean, but you're getting all involved with that, like... Okay, that's true. Uh, Who's the guy who directed uh, Eternal Sunshine? What's his name? Michelle Gondry. Okay, if this was Michelle Gondry as an adult, and Uh his younger brother, I'd be like, okay, I buy this. But like a kid, I don't buy it. Yeah. Okay. Unless they, unless the, did I miss the reveal at the end where it said, and Henry grew up to be Michelle Gondry? (laughs) We call them computers. <laughs> yeah. That's an imitation game joke. Uh, so anyway, 
Naomi Watts and Sarah Silverman, they come home to drink and share stories and gripe. And Sarah Silverman actually says to her, I don't know how you do it, which is the thing that I think every single mom gets asked in every movie. Uh, Henry kind of creepily watches the girl next door uh, who's making ballerina shadow puppets. And again, it's implied that Len is doing terrible things. Next morning, Henry notices she's sad, and Henry storms out of the class into the principal's office, calls the principal by her first name, she, he, but she corrects him, and demands that she look into the <laughs> You're situation. you really granular in this. Uh... this is, but it's important for later on. And, All right. Uh, she says uh, Glenn's the police commissioner. She needs evidence. And Henry goes, I'll get evidence. They go to a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of things like that we don't really need to get into. Sarah Silverman is passed out drunk, and they have to go get her. Yep. Henry is very judgmental and makes catty comments about her clothes, not endearing us uh, to him. In the grocery store, Henry sees a man shoving his wife, question mark, girlfriend, and he wants to step in and his mom says, no, you'll only make it worse. And Henry, he, you know he has a, an urge to help. He's got to step in. He's a kid vigilante, like, yeah. uh, like an incredible... Or, uh, uh, or uh, a, a kid Icarus. Or, or a, uh, he's like, uh, he wants to pay it forward, like Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, this, yeah, shipping Does Haley news, Joel Osment break up, like, couples disputes? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. it was he's a couples in, therapist. In, uh, in Pay It Forward 2, he was going to return as a hero, and he wanders the streets. He was returned after he'd been stabbed in the first movie. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, His ghost. You have to return from something. Yeah. Wait, he got stabbed? Yeah. What? Yeah, that's the end of Pay It Forward. What is this movie? Well, the movie is Pay It Forward, but here's the thing we have to remember about kids who want to help and make the world better in movies. They are not long for this world. <laughs> They're just too good for it. Like Billy Joel said, only the good die young. da 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 A singer. That's a reference to something from before the podcast. Anyway, mom... The mom tells Henry, stop being so serious. He should have more fun. He should be a kid. Yeah. Why and so Henry's serious, just Henry? upset. Henry says, violence isn't the worst thing in the world. Apathy is. Mm. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's... <laughs> yep. That's a, yeah, it's a very like weird libertarian message yeah. right there. I feel like at this Quite point... Quite the opposite, I would say. I feel like at this point we can jump ahead to the big uh, first turning well, point. I, well, I just want to say, there's one piece of information he learns. All right. You can't call child services... Because Glenn's brother runs child services. Oh, and their Nepotism. last name is Sickleman. Yeah, this movie uh, does a lot of work to convince us that there is absolutely no way that Henry can save this girl next door. Yeah, that, like, and he goes to the principal, and the principal's like, that avenue, we can't go down, it's not going to happen. So he is out of options. He's going to the rightful authorities, and they're failing him. So it's only it's time for him to take the law into his own hands. And you know what that means? He's got a Harriet the Spy around town <laughs> putting together some sort of master plan that, unfortunately, he doesn't get to pull off because suddenly he has a seizure. They take him to the hospital. Neurosurgeon Lee Pace, who you may remember from one of my favorite movies, The Fall, ha- uh, says, Henry's got a tumor. We need to look and see if we can operate. They take him in. Then they take him back to the hospital room and say, it's too big. They can't operate. Henry diagnoses it himself because, again, he's super, super duper smart. And uh, he has to be alone, and he goes, he's, it's time for him to go into pouring over his notebooks mode and looking at his financial papers. Because much like former U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant struggling to finish his memoirs as he dies of cancer to leave some financial reward to his family, Henry must now race against time to both prepare for his family's financial future and perhaps prepare for a mission that will change their lives forever and maybe do a bit of good in the world. Dan? Back to what? you, Dan. Uh, 
And in sports, uh, a local team did a great thing. Stuart? (laughs) So we review movies on this show, right? (laughs) So uh, there's a moment in the classroom where the teacher is having all the kids write get well cards, and the kid who wanted to be a dodgeball champion, he's like, Henry has to get better, though. He's Henry. He has to be. He's the best of us. He doesn't say that, but that's the message. Like yeah. he's the, but he's the golden child. All our hopes and dreams are. He's the one who's going to escape this town. But anyway, uh, Sarah Silverman visits Henry, and in a very strange scene, he admits he insults her because he has a crush on her, and she kisses him and then leaves. And there's this moment of connection between them where you're like, is Sarah Silverman about to take this even further? Like, yeah. She like, she like runs off. I mean, he's just about to, stop to die, dude. Okay, that's not funny. Okay, no. cool. <laughs> Take the temperature. Come on. Where's your social thermometers, too? Uh, anyway, Henry says to Peter, I'm leaving behind a red notebook. You got to tell mom to read it, but you don't read it. It's my last wish. And uh, it's all sad. Bob's very sad. The mom's there. They have a sad. It's teary. It's cry. And it's like, even I, a parent who worries about his child every day, was like, Move it along, people. Let's <laughs> let's kill this kid off. Let's put this kid in the dirt. Come on, <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> if we can make a pencil out of leaves, we can kill a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Finally, he does die in her arms, classic Pieta style. And uh, there's a song she sings earlier, accompanying herself on a ukulele that she sings to him now. Um, there's kind of a sadness montage. The mom plays video games sadly. Peter's sad. Everyone's sad. And then mom enters the manic phase of her depression. It's a it's a little <laughs> interesting because like I would have expected there to be like a like a funeral scene or something. No, he 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 demanded no funeral. But it's I mean there's he instead he wanted his body stuffed and then brought to the classroom so he could go to school forever. <laughs> and they said I'll allow it. He was the best of us. Yeah, maybe I they, guess. Maybe they bronzed his body and put it in the town square as an inspiration to future generations of children. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if they'd done that, I would have known. So the, I think what I'm trying to go, get at is that it isn't 100% clear that he's dead. <laughs> is the old, what, comic book rule? If you don't see the body, maybe they can yeah. come back? Yeah. Like, she's holding him for a while, but it's like, he could be asleep. I don't know. You were, you were ready to... You so were, you're a book of Henry Truther, is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's... It's interesting. Is it, is it illegal to ask the question, Dan? He's just not saying one way or the other. He's just asking the question. You're like, jet fuel doesn't burn Henry. <laughs> people uh, laugh when you make that joke, Dan, but when I make the same joke, people think I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, her, the mom is having a breakdown. She says to Peter, I know how we're going to be happy. We're going to have dessert for every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week. And then she starts smoking, which I don't think we've seen her do the entire movie. Uh, yeah, she's and, having a real manic episode all of a sudden. And uh, she says, we got to figure out what Henry would do in this situation. And Peter says, no, we need to know what you would do, Mom. Uh, Lee Pace checks in on them. Peter says his head hurts. Lee Pace says, no, I think your heart hurts. And it's like... Who's supposed to be the voice of wisdom in the movie? Yeah. It's like a chain of dumb wisdom where it's like Peter says the thing to the mom, Lee Pace says the thing to Peter, Lee Pace probably goes home to his mother who says something to him, <laughs> his mother goes to the newsstand and the old wise newsman tells her something, the newsman goes to visit his dead wife in the cemetery and mm-hmm. the groundskeeper gives him a piece of wisdom. 
the groundskeeper goes back to his weird shack and the person he's kidnapped gives him a piece of wisdom. <laughs> the kidnapped victim hallucinates a kind of like imaginary friend that gives them some wisdom. Like, where does it end, Stuart? I mean, probably the imaginary friend. I can't really picture. <laughs> like, does the imaginary friend go back to like a not me style house and it's filled with imaginary people? <laughs> yeah. And they so. can't really manipulate objects that well, so they just kind of push together a couple of cut-out letters from a magazine <laughs> that explain a piece of wisdom. Yeah, I think that's how it works. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Bobby Moynihan tells uh, Nami Watts, who is not doing a very good job at her waitress job. Someone or, asked her... I mean, she's never really or a very good job portraying a mom in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no offense. Like, Naomi Watts, she's great, but like... She's wonderful in a lot of things. She's a little too weird in this one. She's, yeah. she's kind of, I mean, everyone in the movie is kind of weird from the get-go. Uh, and it's a very theatrical performance. Yes, everything's very performative. There's, there's not a lot of naturality in this movie, which, again, for a child genius movie that eventually turns into a weird revenge justice movie. Oh, yeah, that's what we're getting to. It's like, whatever, but we're going to get to that. Anyway, Moynihan tells her, your son in the hospital, before he died, sent me a letter saying you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in She's the bank. She's got like 600K in the bank from his uh, stock things, and she works as a waitress every day. It's called earning your living, Dan. Yeah. She wants a hand up, not a hand out. And I, for one, applaud her with my hands, which are out, <laughs> wanting money. <laughs> <laughs> She's stronger than I am, Dan. I'll just take it. Hand me the 600K that that kid made for me. <laughs> uh, anyway, she, finally, she gets home, and uh, Peter says, Hey, I'm trying to read this red book. This book of hands. <laughs> Peter, and he looks at the camera and winks. Yeah. <laughs> Peter and, has done one of those things where he just sort of like flips through the book once and knows exactly what it's about because he runs out and he's like, I think Henry wanted us to kill Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he really, he Johnny Fives that book. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the way, when he is handling it, you think when he opens it, light is going to pour forth and the yeah. souls of the damned are going to scream for, for Im- escape. Uh, he says, yeah, Mom, I think Henry wants us to kill Glenn. And the book is written and the accompanying audio tape he has left for his mother is also <laughs> yeah, recorded. Yeah, he recorded a podcast. Yeah, you can, you can get it through Audible. Uh, <laughs> is recorded to counter everything she says, and this happens a lot. So she's like, well, why don't we call the police? And then she turns the page and says, why you can't call the police? Yeah. And it's like, it's the, anyway, she finds out that Glenn is friendly with policemen. Strange enough, considering he's the police commissioner, but it horrifies her. And she's like, I'm going to take care of this. And, but the book is written like a series of memento tattoos in book form. So like she turns a page and in big letters it just says, check the safe. In the safe, she finds the tape recorder that Henry snuck out in the middle of the night to record. And he's like, every, it's super contrived. He's like, okay, go to this bank. This will be where you get the money. Take out $500. And she's like, why just $500? That's all they'll let you take out, Mom. That's the daily limit per machine. And there's now go literally... to that machine. Turn to the right. Know your other right, Mom. And she turns the other direction. It's like, hold on a moment. Henry has literally like, p- like taped pauses in his like instructions to her. To allow her to talk to the tape. And how long is this tape? Yeah. It's like a 40-hour tape. She's listening to it for days. Unless it's like there's a box of tapes, and she's like struggling to figure out the order, and she just starts listening to them out of order. And then she's like, I'll just put them on my iPad, in her, in her mm-hmm. iPod, and her iPod's on shuffle. shuffle. So it's like it's Madonna, 
and then like a I guess like a Shania Twain song and then her and then her son telling her how to buy a gun and then like when you get if you want to learn a language and you get a language learning CD and put on your iPod and then for years afterwards you finish a song and then it's like yes see <laughs> I want to I, I do want to take a moment here uh-huh. and pause take it, hey, take it. You, earned, you earned it all right Elliot's now fondling my shoulder uh, I'll give you a nice backstroke all right like the swimming thing? I'm swimming through your blood. <laughs> uh, so I want to take a moment here and appreciate the fact that this movie started as like a quirky dramedy about a really smart kid. And then in the middle of it, the kid died and started instructing his mom to shoot someone. <laughs> I just think we need to appreciate that fact. That this movie has taken a turn for the crazy. That's the one thing I like about the movie, spoiler yeah. alert, is that, we haven't finished the plot, but it feels like the movie is written through a game of like exquisite corpse, where it's like <laughs> somebody wrote the first 30 pages of a screenplay, handed it to somebody and says, you can read the last two lines of this script, figure out where the rest of it goes. Yeah. And then one person went in and just kind of like smoothed it out, and you were like, they had, and they had just, you know, Wes Anderson wrote the first third, and then James L. Brooks wrote the second third, and then, like, Luke Besson wrote the last third. <laughs> Which, now that I think about it, would be a fantastic yeah, movie. Yeah. I want to see that movie, Dan. Let's make it. Yeah, let's make it. <laughs> Why don't I call up my friends Luke, James, and Wes and ask them to do it for how much pay, Dan? How much are we putting up for this movie? <laughs> you moved to Hollywood. I assume you have all of their numbers. Good point. Yeah, in the Hollywood phone book they give you when you move in. It says secret Hollywood phone book for residents only. <laughs> Technically, I did not move to Hollywood. I moved to Silver Lake, different neighborhood within <laughs> Los Angeles. Don't stalk me, please. Anyway, uh, she buys a gun because uh, he gives her the super-duper code word that you get to buy illegal guns, which he luckily overheard when he snuck into the gun shop earlier when he was alive. She's, it's the name of a local crime boss. Yeah, and uh, she's practicing shooting in the woods, and on the tape it's like, good shot, Mom. Uh, and she gets Glenn to sign a permission form for the school talent night, and I'll give the movie this. The school talent show, excellently foreshadowed. They, they, okay. put in, they planted references to this upcoming talent show throughout the film, <laughs> and then they paid it yeah, off I with guess, the talent show. I guess that's one point for the movie, then. Yes. <laughs> It's not like uh, William Goldman, the screenwriter's complaint about Big Lebowski, where they kept talking about the bowling tournament, and he was like, I cannot wait to see this bowling tournament. <laughs> not realizing, you're not supposed to give that much of a shit about the bowling tournament and the Big Lebowski. Like, it's not really about whether they're going to win the bowling tournament. <laughs> not since the cutting edge has it mattered so little whether the heroes win a sporting event. Yeah, it's the emotional journey that's important. Exactly. Mara Kelly. <laughs> I'm just saying a word. I'm just saying the name of someone who was in the cutting edge now. Anyone? <laughs> anyway, she, steal, Kelly. she steals Glenn's signature and puts on a form to make her, Christina, the neighbor girl's guardian. Does she just tape it on top of the other form? or? I think, no, she traces over it. Oh, she lightboxes it? On her lightbox. And then her other son shows up and he's like, what are you doing, Mom? And she's just like, work stuff. And he's not like, you're a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you bring Wait, home uh, dishes to serve? Are you copying the transparencies from your receipts or something? And yeah. also, he's are the one you skimming off the top of the. <laughs> and diner? he's the one who said, he, "Henry wants us to kill Glenn." He's in on the crime. Yeah, 
I guess she just doesn't want him to know he's going into it. Talent show night. Uh-oh. They show up. Lee Pace is there. Turns out Peter invited him. They exchanged contact info earlier in the film. <laughs> Peter's the kid. Peter draws a mustache on a kid's drawing that's hung up on the wall, and he, goes, and he defends that by saying Henry would have found it funny. And then that moment where I was like, this would have been the better movie. If Peter then becomes just a total asshole, <laughs> and nobody could stop him because he's like, Henry would have wanted it. And they'd all be like, oh, you're so right. He was an angel sent from heaven and then returned to heaven. We just only got him for a little bit. So yes, you can steal that candy bar. <laughs> Henry would have wanted it. Or he's like, I don't want to go to school, ever. Henry would have wanted it. Well, it doesn't square with my memory of Henry, but you knew him best. So <laughs> I guess so. You just, you're just a man of leisure at this point. Just starts sitting around a park in a, like a bathrobe, <laughs> just yelling insults at people. <laughs> So this follows him until he's, like, much, much older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After everyone's long forgotten about Henry. They only <laughs> Henry know- would have wanted... I don't know who that is no, no. or why. By that, by that point, the legend of Henry has become so garbled that he's some sort of a god that they worship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. The, the it's crea- like a for Leibowitz at that point? Very much so. All right. And, the, and uh, Henry, uh, they credit him with creating the town and the universe it exists in <laughs> mm-hmm. because of his brain power. And, of course, Peter, by this point, is, in his, is like 105 years old. And he's lived this old age because he's never had to lift a finger because as Henry's brother, everyone did everything for him. And he's the only source of, he's the only one who knew Henry personally. They just believe everything he says. He's, yeah, like, he's oh, the font of knowledge. When, my, when I was born, Henry told me I was even smarter than him and that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, Henry saith thus? Oh, well. Yeah. And the, oh, he's like, the oh, Henry bar was named after my brother Henry. And they're like, it's amazing that that's still in production. And yet Twix, a much better bar, has, has fallen out of production. And oh, wow, it sounds like some th- unbelievers right there. <laughs> no, it is known only through myths and legends as the candy bar that traveled Twix heaven and hell. That's, that is why there were two Twix bars to represent the duality of the cosmos. <laughs> And the caramel, I guess, was for sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the metaphor gets kind of lazy at that yeah, point. It's, there's only so, so far you can stretch that. Okay. Okay. This talent show, again, I'm going to give the movie some props on this one. It is a great talent show. It's amazing. These kids are so talented, which should not surprise me because they're all professional actors who are in a movie. <laughs> It's also, su- it's also great because it appears that the principal is the one who signed off on this thing, but every time she's surprised when somebody <laughs> performs. What? She's like, wait, this kid's going to just go up and burp the alphabet? She's like, ah, I guess I'll allow it. It's, yeah, it becomes this, it's, I don't know. It's just, it, you're, it made me wonder if this is, if the Book of Henry takes place in some kind of Wald Newton type universe, for anyone familiar with that, where a meteor, meteorite landed on Earth and suddenly a generation of incredibly talented kids were born, or like a Midnight's Children yep. type thing. Henry was the smart one. That kid's great at burping. There's mm-hmm. a couple of amazing There's that little dancers. guy who's good at rapping who also likes dodgeball. Yeah, and that, that's like, he's got two powers? That's not fair. Yeah. Rapping and dodgeball? <laughs> Liking dodgeball <laughs> is a power. <laughs> rapping and dodgeball, he could rule the world. <laughs> I like to think, this is a, this is, there's a Book of Henry role-playing game, and they're like, we don't want to do this kid. This character is too powerful. He can rap and play dodgeball. Yeah, that's too we many points. We've got to depower him a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> got to add some flaws. Uh, I guess he has low endurance. He can't have low endurance. He's great at dodgeball. <laughs> uh, anyway, Naomi Watts takes this time. She sneaks out, knowing that Peter has a magic act, which is, I guess, the headliner of the show. It's the last one, because, as again, as a relative of Henry, he gets the best spot. Um, she runs out. It's time for her to pull off this mission. Time for some Black Ops wet works. And time for Glenn's 
what was his name? Glenn Sickleman? Danzig. Yeah, Glenn, no, no, Glenn Danzig. <laughs> I mean, then mother tell your children not to walk my way makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just connecting dots here. <laughs> this is grill Marcus Elliot. lipstick trace. You might Coral. not like what he's saying. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, you may not like what I'm saying, but fair point. Anyway, <laughs> what I was saying was not very good. Uh, it's time for her to do the crime. She is going to kill Glenn. And at this point, and she goes, she suits up to uh, to the accompaniment of a tap dance routine, triple tap dance routine that. The soundtrack is over her getting set up, much like the movie Stolen with Nicolas Cage, in which there is a chase scene set to tap dance music. And by tap dance music, I don't mean actually music. I mean just the sounds of the taps. Yeah. Um, and it was at this point that I was like, I'm way more invested in the talent show. <laughs> like, I kind of don't care if she kills Glenn, but I want. is there a prize at the end of the show? Like, <laughs> is it a competition? Anyway, she manages to get Glenn out into the open to a place where she's supposed to shoot him that he'll fall into a stream which will carry him over a waterfall, his body to be washed, I assume, off the edge of the earth. <laughs> Discworld style. And, uh, and she does this by whistling through a walkie-talkie. Now, let's, let me, let's put you in Glenn's situation. <laughs> yeah. Not the bad part. You are not a criminal, and you would never do that to a child. But let's put you in Glenn's situation. You're sitting at home. Mm-hmm. It's late. You should be at your kid's talent show. She's dancing in the ballet. But you know what? You got to go over some papers, it appears. You're a police commissioner. You're busy. You don't have time to do that stuff. You don't even know that your brother-in-law is a, the biggest meth dealer in Albuquerque. But you got to figure it out. You're just busy at home with your rock tumbling equipment. Anyway, the, uh, he's, he hears a whistle outside. How would you react to this whistle? Would you, A... Just keep sitting there yeah. and not, think, not care that... Think, oh, a whistle, that's weird. Because my reaction would be, someone must be calling their dog that they're walking. Yeah. Or would you be, look suspicious, take a gun out of your desk, <laughs> and go outside to see where this fucking whistle is coming from? I mean, granted, there have been people who walk around whistling that I wish I could shoot. Maybe, okay, and maybe, well, you, you were looking at me a lot during yeah. that. Maybe he thought, uh, this must be Peter Lurie's, Lurie's character from M, <laughs> who would always whistle before murdering a child, and that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is my turf. Was his name Hans Beckman in that movie? I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember M that much. It's a great movie. I love M. Everyone, M? <laughs> Fritz Lang's M? Anyway. Seems like you're pretty on, you're on both sides of the fence about M. Real flip flopper. I don't know M that much, but I love it. We know the Pick a side, dude. Love, Dan. Or is the thing now you, you're an M truther. Yeah. Or is the thing you love about it that you don't always know everything about it and surprises you? So that's the secret of a good relationship. Yeah, that's true. I have a relationship with the movie M. Yeah. Anyway. We're deep in love. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, some people think that some people try and keep us apart. Okay. Video like, store clerks, mainly. <laughs> exactly. They're like, bring back my copy of M. <laughs> Rewound, please. Yeah. There's a we're Suncoast gonna... video down the street. You can easily just buy it. Just buy a copy. That's where I bought my copy of M years ago. At Suncoast? Suncoast I worked at. Uh-huh. Did you get an employee discount? I did. Not an employee discount off the list price, not the retail price. Double discount, everybody. Whoa. Because if you don't think Suncoast marks that shit up, they totally do. <laughs> and I could swear around holiday time they really raise the prices on a lot of the tapes. Anyway, that's, I don't even know if that company's still in business anymore. So uh, <laughs> You don't want to blow so the lid off of the Suncoast <laughs> conspiracy? No, no, let's dig down it deep into your gripes with the Suncoast. <laughs> 
This is the time. No, oh, their anime section was super disorganized. Meepop. I'm an <laughs> no, ultimate otaku. Very, it was very organized because I was the one organizing <laughs> it. We had a wall of anime because that was around the time when every kid was buying Dragon Ball tapes. Okay. Lo- our anime section was almost entirely Dragon Ball, a little bit of Macross and Neon Genesis. Mm, one tape, otherwise all Dragon Ball. But this was during the time... Actually, I would love to do a podcast about my time okay. reading Sun because it was when... It was when VHS tapes were changing over to DVDs, and DVDs were still like a novelty, and they cost $30 to $40 each, and people would walk in and buy movies they had never seen for $40. They'd be like, hmm, Eye of the Beholder with Naomi Judd? Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> I never and, saw it, maybe this is good. 40 bucks, please, here you go. And you're paying 30 or $40 for a weird cardboard sleeve with like a plastic thing? That was fucking crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. Who approved that fucking packaging? It was packaging made to fit shelf space that already existed. But it was so bad. Like, I don't want. I don't want to display this in my home. <laughs> the other thing. Think about me. The other thing I learned was there. There's a very specific selection of movies that people want on DVD when they are not available on DVD, and they are Star Wars, Jaws, Braveheart, Back to the Future. And none of those movies were available, and then suddenly Braveheart became available, and it was like Christmas and Thanksgiving and the 4th of July and whatever the equivalents of those are in Canada, all wrapped up, whatever Canadian Christmas is. And, and it was I think, like... I think it's called Boxing Day. I'm not yeah. sure. And like Jaws came out, and people were flipping their shit that Jaws was available now on DVD. And people would come in every day, multiple people. Is Back to the Future available on DVD? No, it's not. Okay, I'll be back next week. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway, back to the movie. So, uh, Christina, the neighbor girl, she does a, a tearful ballet dance, and it's now when the principal sees the tears in her eyes as she dances that the principal is like, oh, maybe there was something to all of Henry's crazy blabbering about Christina not being treated well at home. Uh, so she, like, nods her head and wanders off stage very noticeably. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, I'm glad she's finally believing some, somebody about this. But on the other hand, she could have been crying because she was turning into a black swan. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing that happens to ballet dancers. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. could just be nervous when she's on stage. And it really hurts your toes to dance ballet. That could be it, too. <laughs> sure. I'm imagining a backstory where you've taken years of ballet. I wish, Dan. Here's another peek into Elliot's past. Oh, God. <laughs> when I was a kid, I really wanted to take dance lessons. My mom went to the only dance studio in town. They said, we don't take boys. And that was the end of that. So thanks, Dan, for bringing up those memories. When the gender binary that otherwise has only helped me throughout my life <laughs> for one brief moment was a negative. <laughs> it finally affected you. Yeah, finally. Otherwise, it's just kind of been a privilege surfing all the way. But yeah. And a sweet deal it's been. Uh, Naomi Watts is about to shoot Glenn. When she accidentally triggers Henry's Rube Goldberg machine inside of his forest fort <sighs> that she's been inside. Does she reach over and just stop the ball from rolling down the series no, of ramps? No, she lets it happen while watching through the scope. Does she as... quiet the chicken before it lays an egg? No, <laughs> onto the scale that wakes up the sleeping mouse that then runs over to the match, lights the match, and lights a candle. The candle burns through a string that opens up a cocoon to let a butterfly out. Mm-hmm. The butterfly flaps its wings. There's a hurricane in Peru. The hurricane knocks a telephone off the hook. The telephone knocks off the hook onto a scale, which then tips over to a pointed finger, which just through gravity and balance calls the number on Glenn's cell phone (laughs) 
to get him to stop just long enough to get her to shoot him. That's not what happens, no. Uh, instead, she lets it go through, and when it ends, it just reveals a chain of photographs of her and her kids. Yeah, and I have to wonder, why did Henry set up a Rube Goldberg machine where the ultimate thing was it unfurls a bunch of photographs of him well, growing up. When I first saw it, I thought it was, he was like, oh, wait, I want to make her think about the consequences of her actions by seeing this. But on the tape, on the podcast she's listening to, he keeps shouting, shoot him, mom, yeah. kill him. Yeah. Take Blow the his shot. face off. Take he's the like, shot. He's, she's thinking, rethinking, he's like, go, mom, do it. Make sure he's in your sights. You're making bleed. And I really wanted, I wanted her to fast forward a little bit on the tape, like, and it's like, Fuck, Mom, you fucked up. Get to the safe house. <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble, Mom. you got to get out of there. <laughs> like he, he, like he, or he recorded two different tapes, and it's like, tape one is done. If you successfully shot Glenn, turn to tape two. <laughs> if you missed, insert tape three now. Yeah. Turn to, ta- turn to page 41 if you enter the Minotaur's lair, Mom. <laughs> uh, so... She decides, no, I'm not going to do it. This is the wrong thing. She goes outside and confronts Glenn, puts her gun down, which is like the dumbest thing you can do. And she says, I know what you've done. And says, who do you think they're going to believe? And she says, well, I'm dedicated to getting the truth out. I can afford to take this forever. I don't know if you can. Yeah, I just got one kid left, and he's not that good. (laughs) (laughs) They actually, there was a scene in the movie after Henry dies where she has to tell Peter, no, you are as important to me as Henry. And that was the one scene in the movie where I was like, this scene is really affecting me. That it's like the idea that this younger son is noticeably seeing how shaken his mother is by her death and taking from that, she, I'm not as valued as Henry and Henry was the thing holding his family together and that she has to say to him, like, no, I do love you as much as Henry and you're just as special as he is. I was like, oh, that's it. Like that, frankly, should have been the climax of the movie. <laughs> like a movie about a, a, a gifted kid dying and his younger brother who does not have those gifts kind of struggling with, with living in that shadow, uh-huh. that could be a good movie. But instead, Luke Besson had to come in and screw it up. Yep. Yeah. And it's she's simple. explaining this to, to her son Peter the whole time in her head. You know, she's got that like Drake head shake meme going on where she's like, <laughs> nah. I, <laughs> yeah. The sunglasses animate down. <laughs> yeah. To your point, Elliot, like, I feel like the moment that the screenwriter types and then Natalie Watts Naomi Watts, Natalie Watts. I don't know who that is. Well, one I don't know why the screenwriter is saying, and then Naomi Watts. He's or already Natalie Watts. <laughs> but as soon as she's typing the words, like she picks up a high-powered rifle with a silencer on it, he might be like, take a moment and be like, this script has gone off the rails. I don't know, and I'll tell you why. Because, Dan, I've, I've talked to people about this before. I don't remember if I ever said it on the podcast. I must have. I had an epiphany when I watched Kong Skull Island, where I was like, I really want to write something where gorillas throwing a bunch of helicopters around. And if I ever get to sit down and write, Kong grabs a helicopter and hurls it into space, I'll, I'll like, then I'll just, I guess, take a cyanide pill because I've done it. Like, <laughs> there was a moment where I was writing a Spider-Man Deadpool issue that came out this year, and I got to write the lines, Deadpool is jumping out of a plane as it slams into a robot Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I was like, yeah, this is the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, everybody else who's suffering right now. <laughs> But uh, I'm just kidding. This is the middlest of all possible worlds. Glenn calls his brother, the head of Child Protective Services, as Naomi Watts runs off to the talent show because the timer she set for when her son's magic act is on because she is showing a lot of faith in the fact that a child's television, a child's, a child's talent show is going to stick to a strict schedule. <laughs> Seems very unlikely. Uh, he calls his brother, and the brother's like, we got a tip from the principal. It's too wide open. We got to investigate. 
police show up at Glenn's house. Camera pulls back, and we hear a gunshot. So wait a minute. She, in the middle of the talent show, went to use the phone, and that hotline's a 24-7 thing, I guess? I mean, maybe she called the police. Oh, okay. Which I hope was a 24-7 thing. I mean, it's not like they're like, oh, it's 7.30, sun's going down, crime's going to sleep. <laughs> I'll be back at 6.30 tomorrow morning when crime gets up. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta wake up pretty early to stop all the crime in the morning. It's like those old Warner Brothers cartoons where the sheepdog and the, and the there's, wolf There's a bank out. robber and a police chief yeah. just punching in. Hiya, Fred. Hiya, Sam. Yeah. Uh, we have to assume that Glenn has killed himself. Although, Stuart, you raised the question that maybe he's firing at the police. <laughs> but, You're never going to take me. Now, uh, Peter says, he shows up as a, they say, they announce it. Now, Peter the Great, and I got excited. My favorite Russian czar is going to be in this movie. <laughs> the man who created the Russian Navy. The man who dragged a backward superstitious nation into the 18th century. <laughs> I mean, sure, he killed a lot of people to do it. But St. Petersburg is still a work of art, yep. built, yes, on the body of thousands of serfs who died in the construction. <laughs> but you gotta hand it to him. Of all the czars, oh, okay. he was the greatest. But no, alas, alack, no, it's just Peter, the regular character, I guess testing out the title he hopes to be called by in the future generations that will worship Henry. Yeah. Uh, and he says his magic trick, as he pulls his magic trunk out, is to bring his brother back. Audience, they're like, ugh. And Lee Pace at this moment, Lee Pace is like turning around in his chair, being like, yeah. as if he's like, you seen this? You seen this? Anyone going to stop this? Oh, you think he thought Henry was going to show up prestige style <laughs> yeah. from the balcony? <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. I, I, I saw that kid die. Wait, hold on. Lee Pace, what if it was, a, it was such a different movie? Lee Pace stood up and goes, that's not true. I killed him. <gasps> <laughs> and, and Peter strokes his fake mustache and is like, well, well, officers, take him away. Officers and Naomi Watts runs in and is like, I'm sorry, they're all at Glenn's house. Yeah. <laughs> There's no police officers to catch Lee Pace. Yeah. And Lee Pace gets into his Ronin the like, Accuser spaceship and like, flies off. He's like, halt and catch fire. Gunfire, that is. Shoot him, boys. What if Peter then, uh, Peter then pulled out his brother's dead body and was like, live, live. And Lee Pace goes, wait a minute. I can raise the dead. Let's push some daisies, huh? Oh, boy. <laughs> Lee Pace... I mean, he's still young, and he's had an amazing career. Yeah. We'll give it up for Lee Pace, everybody. Come on. <laughs> and now, wouldn't it be amazing if Lee Pace walked out that door right now? Alas, don't Lee know Pace, him. his star is never going to the fall. <laughs> okay. I mean, I appreciate the so. reference. Again, one of my favorites, but uh, okay. Um, but Peter said, everyone's kind of like, what's this all about? Did he dig up his brother? Uh, Peter... <laughs> Oh, he goes, I hope this works. And he opens up the, the trunk and confetti flies out. And it's like an unending fountain of confetti up into the air that flies over the audience. The audience loves it. They Standing love it. Ovation. They immediately, Even I'm though, guessing they assume it's the ashes of his brother. <laughs> That's now they're like, maybe some of Henry will enter my body. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're trying to catch his ashes on their tongues to let a little bit of his genius into their own self. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, and and mom showed up on time. She's there, and she hugs her son. Uh, well, they, when they go outside, the police have arrived to tell Christina that Glenn is dead. She runs into Naomi Watts' arms. Cut to the court. Naomi has been awarded custody of Christina thanks to the forged documents that she submitted. And uh, 
There's some voiceover which comes from Henry's tapes. Sometimes a good story reminds you of what makes us human, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, don't tell us about good stories right now. <laughs> Come on. And as Naomi Watts to erase the evidence, and I assume to free herself from, from Henry's spirit, which has dogged her up yeah. to this point, yeah. I'm my own woman now, Henry. Leave me alone. Throws the book and the tape into the fire. Yeah. We were worried he was, she was going to throw Peter into the fire yeah. and like erase all the evidence. He's <laughs> like... You know this too, little kid. You uh, you ran on this thing. Uh, Henry once told me that Benjamin Franklin said, three can keep a secret if two are dead. Yeah. Well, Henry's dead, and it's your turn now, Peter. <laughs> uh, and she reads a bedtime story to Christina and Peter, who now share a room, just like Peter and Henry did. Raises a weird question that this adolescent girl is sharing a room with like a nine-year-old boy. I don't even want to get into it. It's as almost as weird as Sarah Silverman's Bizarre Kiss. Um, <laughs> And she reads a bedtime story about a dying flower which enriches the soil with its death. Uh, and it's like... <laughs> and it's like... And she looks at him and she's like, that's kind of like Henry, right? Yeah. Get it? And they're like, it? You no fucking I fake, wish she had dude. I closed the book and just said, get it. Yeah. <laughs> that's like your brother. <laughs> Who's dead. He's no. never coming back. There's no magic that'll ever bring him back, Peter. You're a bad magician. Yeah. Sleep tight. Sleep with one eyes open. One eyes open. Ripping your pillow tight, Peter. Enter night, exit light. Take my hand, Peter. We're off to Never Never Lands. Yep. And that's the movie Finding Neverland. <laughs> yeah. Starring Metallica. Yep. Uh, uh, so, so, Stuart, you were going to say something. How do you feel about Christina, the neighbor girl, getting no lines and basically being a football that's thrown around for this movie? Like, she's the MacGuffin, right? Uh, she's true. what they're all fighting over. But she doesn't get, like, I think her one line is, I'm fine. Yeah, she has very little dialogue. She gets very few moments. It's, yeah, it's, she is more a plot device than a person. Yeah. But then again, so is Henry. <laughs> like, Henry's more a collection of being an asshole ticks than anything else, but... Uh, Dan, you're looking at a watch, looking very concerned. Uh, no, we've gone very long, and we want to go on to answer a few questions from the audience, uh, so we should probably wrap it up. Is it time for some kind of judgments? Uh, I believe that it should, the, the judgment should have some sort of finality. Mm-hmm. Like a destination, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or, or a Fantasy seven. Yeah. So maybe it's I time. should have said Fantasy the Spirits Within. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, this, we review movies on this <laughs> yes. podcast. Good point. Uh, so it's time for final judgments. Final judgments. Finish it. Is this a good bad movie, a bad bad movie, or a movie you kind of like? Ellie, what do you have to say? I found this to be a bad bad movie, and that's too bad because I wanted it to be a movie I kind of liked because I went into it knowing I know this movie takes some kind of crazy twist because I saw the pictures of Naomi Watts with a sniper rifle. And you know what? You know what? Just because this guy got fired off a of Star Wars doesn't mean that I can't. I haven't seen any of his other movies. I never saw J World or anything. But maybe, you know what? I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes a movie well, it swings for the fences and fails. And sometimes it hits over those fences and this one fails. You're just, you're just aping Henry's monologue from the end of the movie. <laughs> you know, sometimes a movie. Gives sometimes you hope. stories are good stories. I mean, it literally is like sometimes stories are good stories and sometimes they're bad stories. Sometimes they tell us about the best of us, and sometimes it's the worst of us. And it's like, Henry, did they not bring you the script pages? And you're like stalling for time <laughs> until they get them to you. So Dan, what do you think? I say this is a bad, bad movie. Uh, yeah, I say this is a bad, bad movie too. It, the craziness of it makes me want to say that it's a good, bad movie. But it is 
boring and it's also about <laughs> child death and child abuse. So I don't recommend that anyone run out and see it for LARFs. Uh, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, it's a hard movie to get like a fun hate watch on. It's not very good, obviously, and there's some really dumb stuff in it, but it's a hard movie to take pleasure in it. Bad. Yeah. So I'd say bad, bad. Sorry, Book of Henry, but it appears this book is closed. <laughs> uh, yeah. How long did you fucking work on that one? And then? And then? Thank you. Slip on my shades? Oh, bump, 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 CSI Miami. Going into a bullseye interview, I know it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's an actual conversation. I don't know where it's headed. The, absolutely. I, you're absolutely right. You said it actually better than I did, so I have to think about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these are, this, this, this is the straight talk that, that you're going to get on this show. Bullseye, creators you know creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Are you sad and confused about world politics? Worried about the upcoming inevitable nuclear war? Or maybe a rat is living in your house? There's a rat living in my house. How do you get rid of a rat from a house? Why not immerse yourself in a completely fictional imagined podcast for the beef and dairy industries? It works for me. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the number one podcast for those involved or just interested in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. Don't worry, it's funnier than it sounds. Find us at beefanddairynetwork.com or maximumfun.org or wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, God, there's the rat. Oh, God. Hey, everyone. It's a live show, which means another one of my patented solo ad reads. That's right, I patented it. The patent office said, no, patent rejected. But I broke into their offices and I stuffed my application in the files anyway. So, suck it, patent office. My Our first uh, sponsor is Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. They offer affordable prices because... Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to the customer. Now I got one of these Casper mattresses, and let me tell you, it sleeps like a dream. Sleeps like a dream. I don't actually dream that much while I'm sleeping on it, because I've got sleep apnea, which interrupts my sleep cycle, which makes it hard for me to fall into the cycles that create dreams, but the mattress is not at fault. It's my own stupid physiognomy. Anyway... Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com flophouse and using promo code flophouse, all one word, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply also uh we're hosted today by bombfell bombfell is a uh what do we call it let's say it's a shipment that you get on a monthly plan that uh gives you great clothes that you might uh, not otherwise know to buy for yourself because uh, it works like this. you It's perfect for guys who hate shopping for clothes but still want to look good. 
And you get those great clothes by completing a simple questionnaire and then getting matched with a personal stylist. Your stylist will email you your their, their personalized selections for you. Then you'll have 46 hours to make any changes or cancel the shipment altogether. And Bombfell's keep more, get more pricing means the more you keep in each shipment, the more you save. For instance, if you keep four items, you get 20% off. Keep three, 15% off. Keep two, 10% off. Now listen, Bombfell was nice enough to uh, give us a test of this fine product of theirs, and I got a few clothes from Bombfell because of the Flophouse people. I am the clothes horse, I would say. Um, although Stuart is the one who all, always looks good in anything. Damn him. And I uh, got this great shirt from Bombfell that literally got me three compliments in one day. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making it up. Three compliments in one day. If you want to get three compliments in one day, well, there's a lot of ways of doing that, but Bombfell is one of them. So, listen, our, our uh, Bombfell is offering our listeners $25 off your first purchase when you visit, when you visit Bombfell. You can't visit any place. Guys, there's a lot of misinformation going around about how you can visit a place or bow to a place or you can be at a place that 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 does work but don't get fooled by these new fangled uh travel agencies that want to book a visiting for you because that doesn't that does not work no you can visit bombfell that's b-o-m-b-f-e-l-l dot com slash flophouse bombfell open and clothes. Now, uh, we've got a couple of Jumbotrons here, too. The first is, um, looking for a good movie to balance out the flops? Then watch West of Her, an indie romance with a twist of mystery, filmed across ten states in iconic locations from the Midwest Plains to the Rocky Mountains, Monument Valley to Beale Street in Memphis. Hailed by critics as enchanting and mesmerizingly beautiful, and winner of four Best Narrative Feature Awards, West of Her, is a movie for anyone who's ever longed for adventure, romance, and a life of meaning. Find West of Her on iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo, all of your other favorite streaming services, and cable on demand. Well, that sounds nice. Sounds like a pleasant movie to watch instead of a movie about a guy who kills folks and stuffs them on snowmen. Mr. Police... Find West of Her. You can also uh, listen to PredictoCast, which is a podcast where Josh and Skinner watch the first 10 minutes of a movie they know nothing about and try and predict what happens next. Sometimes they're right, but it's much more fun when they're wrong, like the time they failed to predict that a wolf man would show up in one flick or that a bunch of dinosaurs would be thrown off a cliff in another. A huge back catalog is waiting for you right now, and a new episode drops every week. They predict you're going to love it. Find Predict-O-Cast and op, Apple Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts. Guys, don't be fooled by all the travel agencies that want you to go to Apple Podcasts. There's no, there's no Apple Podcasts. It's Apple Podcasts, which is where you can find Predict-O-Cast. There, find it there. Find it in Stitcher, Google Play. 
wherever you listen to podcasts or get it at predictocast.com. And uh, we got some big news. Um, there are a few live shows that we're going to be doing coming up in a few different cities on May the 26th at 6th and I Historic Synagogue. We will be doing a live show that evening. I don't have the time right in front of me, but you can get it by going to flophousepodcast.com and clicking on events. That's D.C., Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, on May the 26th. And then on June the 30th, we will be in Seattle at the Neptune Theater. Seattle's Neptune Theater. This is our first Pacific Northwest show. So come on out and see us. We tried to make Portland work, too. We couldn't. Uh, we'll, we hope that we'll do it in the, in the future. Uh, but for now... You know, I don't know. Come on. Come make the drive from Portland to Seattle. It's not that far. Come on, people. Um, and in between those two shows, there's a show that's not on sale yet. But um, I just want to let you know so you can mark your calendars. Uh, Elliot will be back in New York. And we'll be back at the Bell House in Brooklyn on June 7th at 8.30 p.m. So that's all the news that's fit for your ears right now um and we should go back to what's the live show that we're putting up on the toronto we should go back to toronto for more fun uh before we move on to the next segment i just want to say that i got a text uh while we're up on the stage from star of the show hallie hagland who uh applause she can't hear you her text says i am here pay attention to me so uh (laughs) I wow, t- wow, wow. Uh, are you sure you didn't just write that? I, t- I told her I'm on the Burn. stage in Toronto right now. She said, get off and get here. She's, appa- she's apparently in Charlene's bar right now. So. Oh, cool. That's a uh, bar in Brooklyn. When in Brooklyn, about. visit Hinterlands or Charlene's bar. Yeah. With Hallie, I guess. <laughs> you may see her in the wild. Uh, now is the part of the podcast where we're going to talk to the audience. We're going to stand up, and there's a microphone right over there, and I'm pointing there. to it for the audience at home. Audience at home, I'm sorry. It's too late. Do not run over to the Royal in Toronto and try to get on the microphone because it is, by the time this reaches your ears, we'll all be dead. But dead tired of doing this show. Just this episode, not the whole series. Anyway, go to that microphone and uh, we're going to answer some questions. There's a thing that I've said that's a little mean and I'll say it again, which is we've been all evolved into a lot of these things where someone gets up and they tell a long story about their own personal relationship with the Flophouse or something or Woody Allen or whoever's talking that day. You know what? We're just glad you're here. We know you're fans because you're here, and that means a lot to us. So let's keep it to questions and not stories because it's take it for granted that we know every introduction or every question is how much you like us because we like you a lot too. We know that you're here because you like us, and it means a lot to us. So anyway, I'd like to say one other thing, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why should I say it when I can sing it? Oh, God. There's a place I know, it's called Toronto, it's a city of love, a city of light, a city of oddly spaced buildings. Sometimes you'll have a big tower of glass, and then right next to it, some kind of little brick thing. It's a weird combination of buildings, but I love it, 
because what it says to me is that, hey, this is a place that I ought to see. Toronto, city of laughs, city of light, city of other things, but I don't know enough about Toronto to be much more specific than that. I just got in this morning. I'm leaving tomorrow afternoon. Not gonna get to sample much of Toronto. Might have had a chance when I was a kid when my family took a driving trip of Canada. But my dad drove right through the city of Toronto. He wasn't interested in stopping in the city of Toronto. Even though the guidebook said it was the home of the world's largest McDonald's. <laughs> Is it true? I'll never know. Don't tell me, Toronto. Don't tell me, Toronto. I want to live in the mystery that is Toronto. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, questions. Where did Dan go? Uh, he got really upset at your song and left. He was really mad because you keep saying Toronto instead of Toronto like a native. Oh. Look. I can't pretend to be anything other than what I am, someone who is not from here. See, I owe that comment to the, uh, to the tour guide who gave me a tour to Niagara Falls yesterday who explained a lot about hockey, told everybody what buffalo wings were, and explained <laughs> the economics of living in Toronto. Uh, he also explained that it's very Canadian to have a two-car garage that's attached to the home, which is crazy because everybody's garages are attached to homes. Or maybe not. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> Did I miss anything? No, don't worry about Quite it. Quite a bit. All right. I learned how to, how to pronounce Toronto. All right. Not Toronto. Hitting that second T. Okay. Hey, how you doing? Great. Thank you. Uh, everybody in Toronto is very excited that you're here, and thank you for coming. Oh, thank thanks. you very much. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much. So uh, last night, oh, well, just to back up, thank you for coming. Uh, I've been a Flophouse fan for a long time, but you've been a gateway drug to a lot of movies that I probably shouldn't have seen and then saw <laughs> awesome. yeah. and then told people to see and then saw again. And so now I think I've advanced further than the Flophouse is. And I, I saw, um, uh, what's that called, that movie last night? I don't Chris? know. Chris? <laughs> I saw Dangerous Men. Dangerous Men, okay, don't Which is a, an infamous movie that is apparently, like, worse than all of the other movies. And I wanted to know <laughs> Put what... Put together? It, well, I think it's, uh, it's the same cinematographer as the guy who did Samurai Cop, but he considers it his lesser work. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's, it's astonishing, and it's worth seeing, but what's the line for you? <laughs> what is, like, where does bad, bad hit... Where does it cross into... Yeah, like, I, I see all the outsider stuff and all the auteur stuff, but... Where does like, it go from good, bad, you, to bad? Yeah, where, where is it too bad to see? Where is it too bad to see at all? Uh, I think there's a movie that you, uh, you know called Slow Bullet that I believe... Uh, oh, God, ooh. love, yeah. Have you ever seen Slow Bullet, Dan? I have not seen Slow Bullet. I've only known it through you your... You hyping it. Slow Bullet is, I think, the worst movie I've ever seen. And I've seen it multiple times by this point. <laughs> Which may, I have to ask real questions about how I'm living my life. But uh, Slow Bullet is a movie, so the, I'll, this, this might help to answer the question. Slow Bullet is a movie that was produced by a Florida video store. 
And wouldn't it be about, in their, wouldn't it be in their best interest to make a good movie that people want to rent? Yes, it would be, but that is not what happened with this okay. one. And it is about a uh, Vietnam veteran who is struggling with his memories of the war. He wasn't shot in the war, but he was shot with the slow bullet of post-traumatic stress disorder. There's an original heavy metal soundtrack, and as you're and the first like 20 minutes, it feels like it's the first 20 hours of the movie. He's just in his basement apartment kind of wandering around mumbling to himself in real time. And I once saw it projected in a theater, but the screen was at floor level, and it looked like we were just watching a guy walking around <laughs> muttering to himself. And it, like, and suddenly in that, like, watching that movie, I, like, started to feel what it must be like to have something terrible hanging over you that you cannot shake. And it was like, when a bad movie, when, it, when a movie becomes so bad that, it has a similar emotional effect to a good movie in that you're like, wow, I've really got to like question my conception of the world. <laughs> That's when it's too bad. Like I wanted, it's like uh, uh, there's a movie called uh, Nuki. That's oh. like an E.T. ripoff. It's a harrowing journey. And uh, it's, but Slow Bullet is, it's like that's when a movie's too bad is when it's both boring and traumatic to me. <laughs> like, a, like a really slow movie about someone just slapping somebody else over and over again for an hour. <laughs> Like, that would be both boring and traumatic. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> Sounds like an Andy Warhol film. Yeah, or frankly, almost any comedy made before the sound era. <laughs> like just, <laughs> just nothing but slaps. Now, yeah. I'm not talking about the Lon Chaney film, He Who Gets Slapped. That's a really good movie. I'm very Thanks satisfied by that answer. Thank you. Oh, thank you. All right, next cue, and we'll A it. Uh, hi, I'm David, last name withheld. Hello, hi. David. Um, and I appreciate what you were saying before, Elliot, about uh, the ways in which you've, uh, I think you said, riding the privilege train. Um, and I was wondering if folks could share a moment from your illustrious careers, whether it's in comedy or uh, owning your bar in Hinterlands, um, in which uh, privilege of some sort played a big role in kind of going to the next step. Oh, jeez. Where in privilege played a big role? Oh, God. Where privilege helped us go to the next step. I mean, I became head writer of a show hosted by a Jewish guy from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get, it was like, yep, this is, I have an unfair advantage on this one. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it's really good that I can speak, I can kind of like, I speak the same language as John Stewart and I can get into what he's talking about. Oh, that's right, we're from the same place and we grew up <laughs> similarly. Yeah, I mean, not to get too serious, but I guess it's a very serious question. I mean, up until recently where I think people are trying to write that boat a little bit uh, in comedy writers' rooms or in writers' rooms at all. You in, said write that boat, not ride that boat. Ride that boat, okay. yes. For a second, I thought you said ride that boat. I'm going to ride that boat. <laughs> ride into the sunset, baby. <laughs> no, to, uh, to ride the ship a little bit. Uh, recently, people have been trying to improve on this, but in television, you know, you get your job through the people you know, and because for a long time the people who had the job are, like, white guys, and they tend to know other white guys, then it's a self-fulfilling thing. Yeah. And I think I probably took, I probably got the advantage of being a white guy who knew you this white guy did, over here. I'm the white guy who helped you get a job, white yeah. guy. <laughs> so there's that. So thanks for making me feel bad about recommending you for that job, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like getting a, getting a bartending job in Brooklyn is not that much different. I mean, the vast majority of like neighborhood bartenders are straight white dudes. And yeah, I mean, it's and they end up like no other straight white dudes, and then they just get hired by uh, other guys. Like you know, it's something that I know I'm super aware of, and I try to 
changed, but and now know, we've got I, a I totally benefited with from three straight white dudes <laughs> talking about stuff. Well, it's when we shook it up when we're in L.A. and Stuart couldn't make it by getting a different straight white dude. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's one of those things that's only fixed by fixing it. Kind of like it reinforces itself, Unlike and then you got the gotta... stuff that gets fixed by breaking it more. <laughs> oh yeah. No, but I get what you mean. All right, now we've downed everybody. Let's get to the next question. Hi, uh, Woody. Last name withheld. Uh, I was wondering if there is a particular theme or trope uh, in film where you'll watch the movie no matter how bad the reviews are, give it a shot, that kind of thing. Because like, I like uh, any movie where it's about like the last hurrah or the end of an era or something like that, the thing that Westerns do very well, like Sergio Leone movies or uh, No Country for Old Men or something like that, where oh, new technology comes in and it changes everything, but we're going to have one last of the old stuff before that happens. Like I like that kind of, is there a thing that like you're like, oh, that's the thing, and I'll watch this, you know, it doesn't matter if it's going to be good or bad, but I like that thing. Yeah, it's a movie called Cheeky, and it's about butts. <laughs> <laughs> no. Very honest answer. I mean, I think the real answer is, is like heist movies. I, I, just, I just like heist movies, but that's kind of boring, so let's move on to someone else who can answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> Someone uh, gonna, in the front row said Cheeky is very good. I'm going to rebut that and say <laughs> Cheeky is not very good. <laughs> I will say that for what it is, Cheeky is very good. A butt delivery system? <laughs> yeah. Fair. It delivers on its promise. If I'm going to judge it on its own intentions, then yeah. it is the base, best movie ever made. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I'll watch almost any slasher movie, and I know they're all terrible, and intellectually I know that they're bad to like, but I can't help, like, it's that fucking nostalgia shit where you're just like, I need it. I, I'll, it's my comfort zone of movie to watch. I'll watch. And I'll watch just about any movie that was shot in New York in the 70s because that's like a mythical time for me. Mm. And I only got to see the last vestiges of it in the 80s. But anything where, I can, where, it's, set, where it's shot on location, I'm like, everything's so grimy. Mm. <laughs> like, I'll watch Anyone that. where someone's wearing, like, a dingy plaid jacket. Love it, Yes. <laughs> All these people are kind of good at their jobs, but they're just doing their jobs, and they're kind of grumpy about it. Yeah, yeah. Anything where, and everyone and everything is all oranges and browns and tans, like in teal. That's all the colors of everything. Beiges. I love that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I hope that answers it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Hi. Hi. I'm Lars. Hi. Last name definitely withheld. Uh, Whoa. Okay. Sorry. Turn <laughs> <laughs> the it's Canadian witness protection system. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it would be confusing uh, for anyone who's trying to find me because I'm changing my last name. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm sorry we opened this can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so there are a lot of filmmakers that consistently make bad, bad movies. And uh, I was wondering if you have a favorite director who transitioned from that to, to making good, bad movies or movies you kind of liked. I'm guess what, I guess what I'm asking is, is there hope for Colin Trevorrow to come back in the fold and make the Ponda Baba one colon a Star Wars story. Oh, I would yeah. so love a Ponda Baba movie. <laughs> he is maybe my favorite Star Wars character. Do you think? Uh, he has I mean, a face that looks like a butt, <laughs> and his buddy is always getting him into trouble. <laughs> I mean, when we were about to watch this movie, I was like looking into the future, like at the end of Raising Arizona, and there's like... I was looking at like a like a magazine headline with a picture of uh, Colin Trevorrow, and it's like getting fired from Star Wars was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
But I don't think that's going to happen. You never know. I mean, so many great directors came out of the Corman factory where Roger Corman would hire them to make cheap stuff that, like, for all the really fun movies that come out of, came out of Corman's company, a lot of bad ones did that are not worth watching. But, like, they all made the turn. You know, they're all, these, these are still young folks working out their, their dreams. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I feel like it goes the opposite direction most of the time. Like, someone comes out with some sort of brilliant thing out of the gate and then makes direct later on. Like, I was really surprised recently to uh, find out that the guy who made Wake and Fright, which is a favorite of mine, a great Australian oh, horror movie. Oh, Australian movie. movie. Yeah. With a, yeah I he went on. He's the same guy who made Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> you got I don't know what you're talking about. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it shows a lot of range, that's for sure, but... You gotta earn money to buy food, you know. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that he misheard the title and he thought Weekend at Bernie's was... was Weekend at Bernie's? It was Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, it was, it was like, a oh, sequel. An American version of my very Australian movie. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, for the most part, I'm, I totally agree with you guys. Like, it's always... It's, it's usually always at least some glimmer of good early on, and then it... Yeah. Sad. Thanks for cheering me up. Bringing the room down with all of our answers. Hi guys, Rich, last name withheld. Um, I want to know about the people who you reference frequently on the show. If you've ever heard feedback from them, for example, someone like a, a Nicholas Cage or a Neil Breen or local auteur Frank D'Angelo. Um, <laughs> we were we considered doing a Frank D'Angelo movie for this and I like I know I was kind of scared that he would yeah that he would come well that, that actually leads me to the second question which is sort of part of that which is that if you actually had the opportunity to record an episode of the show featuring someone who you were talking about like if Neil Breen said hey Dan I'll come to your place and we'll record an episode of the podcast was that something no, <laughs> no. is that something you would want to do we don't want to be knowing where we live the man who ends every movie that he makes by killing everybody <laughs> I'm not going to bring that by into my house. But uh, I, the, we ha- well, I mean, we've been contacted I mean, by... If Nicolas uh, Cage said he'd come out, I would fucking say yes. Oh, yeah, that's dude. different. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is, a, is an artist. Like, he's, yeah, of course. But uh, I would be frightened to meet him. <laughs> but I want to. Uh, someone once wrote in and told us that they told Mads Mikkelsen about the show, and Mads Mikkelsen thought it was okay. Like, the idea of it was okay. But, <laughs> but I don't, that is yet to be ascertained whether that was a true story or not. Yeah, I mean, the closest that we've come to this is obviously when Chris White's uh, of Twilight New Moon wrote into the show. He's a listener. Uh, and many other things. Many, no, I mean, that's why he Much, was on our show. Yeah, that's true. He was not on our show for About a Boy, a genuinely good movie <laughs> that he wrote and directed. Uh, but we've become sort of friendly with him. We had... We had dinner with him. He's a very nice man. He was very nice he about the fact. poison our dinners. <laughs> we made fun of his movie. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, we when we first started doing the show, there, we were, we assumed that we would never ever have anyone ever involved in making a movie ever reach out to us in any capacity. And I think it was it was a couple of years when like what was it? The writer for Sorority Row wrote to us and was like, hey, I'd love to be a guest on your podcast. I'm like, we already did a show on Sorority Row. I don't know. Like, do you want to talk about some more? Like, it's not kind of we what just, we do. We kind of like, it was kind of cool, but we were kind of baffled. We were like, we're not like an interview podcast. Like, I don't, there's a lot of those, but I think we would. We, we would barely not. even talk about the movies we watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the, I guess that's the answer. <laughs> I feel like all of these 
I, I mean, I apologize to everyone. I feel like all of these questions end on like the biggest anti-club. No, you, they know if they've listened to past live shows that the questions are always a parade of us disappointing the answer, <laughs> disappointing the questioner with an answer that kind of trails off and we're like, uh, I don't know. Well, um, uh, okay, goodbye. And yet we still do it. But I think we're going we're gonna to break the mold here. All yeah. right. On this next one. Let's, let's put a lot of pressure on this next question. The answer we give to it is going to be the best answer in the history of answers. Hi, Leo, uh, step aside. Because <laughs> this is one dialogue that's for history. All right, let's go. <laughs> I joined the wrong place in line. Uh, Caitlin, last name withheld. Uh, yesterday, me and my partner watched The Book of Henry. And at the I'm beginning sorry. of the movie, <laughs> yeah, I, I, much like you guys, I hated the kid. I'm like, this kid is going to grow up into a gamer gator. And yeah. the movie. For sure. <laughs> for the, sure. Yeah, and by the end, I cried three times because Whoa. of how manipulative this movie was and like the emotions. Like the scene, there's a scene with Peter in bed after Henry dies and he has the walkie talkie that he'd always talk to with his brother mm-hmm. on his bed. And I'm like, oh my God, like, oh. And then I hated this movie even more. So I was wondering. Uh, what movie you were the most angry at that made you emotional? For example, uh, Dan mentioned in A Dog's Purpose that that movie kind of got to you because of yeah. uh, the loss of your pet. Uh, was there a movie even worse than that where you were like, this movie's getting to me and I hate it so much more for it? Or was maybe that the line? Uh, that's a really good question, which is what we say when we have to I have kill to think about time. it. I know, that, I, know that, <laughs> I know that's happened to me, but it's, it's hard for me to think any, any of the top of my head. I will say that when I was a kid and I watched a lot of sitcoms, there were a lot of moments in sitcoms from bad sitcoms I didn't like, but I watched them because they're on TV. I'm a kid. I don't have anything to do. And <laughs> where I'd be like, I would get wrapped up in the emotion of it where I'd feel bad for it. There's, there's this one Full House episode where <laughs> my favorite character on the show, you can probably guess which one it is. Kimmy Gibbler. No, well, Kimmy Gibbler's number two. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Joey, favorite character on the show. He has some kind of a hockey rivalry with this other guy. And finally, at the end, he beats him in hockey, and the other guy is a total asshole to him the entire show. You want to see him be taken down, and there's just one shot of that guy sitting on the ice. It's just his face is falling. Like, and you, in this moment, you're like, oh, this Dave Coulier has a family. This guy has nothing but hockey. <laughs> and now Uncle Joey has taken that from him. <laughs> Like, he has nothing now. And I remember as a kid feeling so sad. Like, so sad in that moment. I really felt for that guy. Terrible. uh, I don't know if I can say anything after that. Uh, I I mean, I can't think of anything specific, so this this is a terrible answer. But, I mean, making me cry is like shooting fish in a barrel. Like, I'm the same messy. way I get that. If you've listened to the podcast, I think that you know that I'm always just this side of being in tears. <laughs> so, I mean, like, fucking commercials make me cry. I, I, like, and I'm angry about it every time. Like, the God, like, anytime I express emotion, I'm just like, God damn it, this is stupid. <laughs> it's stupid that water comes out of my eyes and it's stupid that I'm expressing it. This is all stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> stupid. No, I'm no, Dan, it's cool. That's yeah, it's, it's okay. That's to just try, who man. you are, buddy. Um, I let me see, uh, like Braveheart or like Gladiator movies like that, where I don't really like them that much, and they feel really manipulative. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, freedom. <laughs> 
Yeah, dude. That's similar to how trailers do that to me. Not uh, not crying, but like every trailer is cut the same way where it's like, warm line of dialogue. Warm, and there's like silence, and then something crazy happens, and then the title, and then one last line, and then wall, and it's like, just describing it. And you're like, it. who is the man? Wait, it's Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, Yoda, movie. Man, you got me. But I, I can feel, like, just describing it. you were talking about the movie, Who's the Man? <laughs> which would have been an even weirder reference to make. <laughs> I, I, just describing it, I can feel the hairs tingling on the back of my neck, like, oh, it's this, that format for cutting trailers does it to me. And I hate it so much because I'm like, Audie, you know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. But it still thrills me. Uh, I hope that helped. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> helped. Hope that helped with your problem. Uh, no, I just we should, we should speed up. But uh, oh, okay. Um, I'm Josh. Last name withheld. Uh, Hi, so you guys have gone on record um, about how much you love the uh, Brandon Graham's uh, Prophet series. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, yeah. Which started out as a Rob Liefeld character, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, you know, talk any shit about Rob Liefeld. But you can. It's okay. <laughs> He's not here, right? Uh, okay, cool. I don't know. But, um, He's busy not drawing a character's feet somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> He's busy. He's busy putting small little lines all over everything. <laughs> um, but my question is: uh, Can you guys think of any uh, examples in movies where the uh, either a sequel or like a reimagining is, uh, if not better, at least vastly different than uh, its source material? Uh, I can think of two. One where the source material is great, and one where it's all right. Like the new Planet of the Apes movies. The old Planet of the Apes movies, I love. The first Planet of the Apes movie is genuinely a great film. And the other ones are really fun. But the new Planet of the Apes movies, I'm like, they did a good job with these. These are really, really good. But also like the old The Fly, Vincent Price and everything. Like an all right movie. It's good. But the David Cronenberg The Fly is like, it's like a totally different way to take it. And it's so creepy and gross. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing with The Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, th- the old The Thing, perfectly good <laughs> sci-fi flick, but then the John Carpenter thing, it's like, what am I watching? This is amazing. <laughs> is an alien turning into a dog in front of my very eyes and it gets all tentacly? Don't defibrillate that guy's chest, it's going to turn into a mouth. <laughs> and the score is so great. Yeah, it's great. Dan, you going to take the contrary stance that John Carpenter's The Thing sucks? Because I'll have to fight you. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I'm not coming up with anything very good. I mean, like, there's stuff like, I don't know, like Vertigo that was based on like a short story, like a pulp short story that no one remembers or something like that. But In French, too. Yeah. It's a French story. I don't know why you're specifying that. <laughs> Does that seem more what people don't Because we're in Canada? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you could look at like, I mean, like The Godfather is a kind of a hot boilery book made into, yeah. a, into a great piece of art. And yeah. then they turned it into a video game. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the a whole circle of life. <laughs> All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Julian. Uh, last name withheld. Hi, Julian. Uh, just side note, I'm friends with um, Frank D'Angelo's godson. Uh oh. Shit. Do not tell him we're here. No, he's a cool guy. He knows Don't that Frank tell him D'Angelo. We're here. He's well aware that Frank D'Angelo is crazy. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I found out that he was his godson because I was insulting Frank D'Angelo to him. Um, <laughs> and he was like, that's hilarious. That's my godfather. He was, actually. He took him out for smokes and asked him if he likes movies at uh, his showing of Sicilian Vampire. Anyway, um, I have a question, like a sort of the same question, but a different question for everybody. So for Elliot, if you could make any movie with Sylvester Stallone, what would it be? For Dan, if you could make any movie with Nick Cage. And Stuart, any movie with Stuart Gordon. 
Wait, like, if I could make a movie with them? Yeah, like okay. as an actor or just helping you direct. Wow. Mm, that's a tough question. It's hard to know. Mm. There's so much possibility. Sylvester Stallone can do it all. He's amazing. Uh, maybe, has there ever been a movie about like a tough guy who becomes a kindergarten cop? <laughs> Are you thinking of Kindergarten Cop 2? <laughs> yeah. Starring Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> That's the one I'm thinking of. I don't know. Like, I feel like he might have another Rambo in him. Because we haven't seen Rambo die on screen yet. But this time... Nah, no, no, I know the movie I would make. Okay, there's a story that I wanted to do as a comic book once a long time ago based on the true tale, supposedly, that, uh, the cage, that Stalin sent KGB agents to assassinate John Wayne because he was too valuable to American propaganda, and the FBI stopped it. And I wanted to do a story called John Wayne versus Russia, where John Wayne, he just wades ashore on one end of Russia, and he just battles his way across <laughs> until he gets to Stalin. And this, it started growing into this kind of like league of disreputable Hollywood gentlemen where like Errol Flynn is there and Robert Mitchum is there. Like all these guys who had kind of like shady or criminal events in their lives. Time for them to earn their, to earn their freedom by helping John Wayne stop Russia. Sylvester Sloan would play John Wayne. Okay, I was gonna ask. Yeah. I was about to ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you can pull it off. I think that the answer uh, would also again have to be cheeky. <laughs> Okay, interesting. Well, put Nicolas Cage in it. As oh, cheeky? A little something for the ladies. <laughs> Who doesn't want to see Nicolas Cage's uh, butt for two hours? Just a static shot? Just a static shot of his butt. Does he, we're, does not, he... we're not really like, it's a loose remake of Cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody cried out in ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I guess uh, with Stuart Gordon, uh, maybe like... The Dunwich Horror or some other classic Lovecraft story, because I like what he does with those. He makes them extra gross. All right, cool. Thanks. Thank you. These are good questions. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Carter, last name withheld. Uh, Elliot, you said that uh, you only recently started taking notes because you moved to L.A., so I'm wondering if, you, uh, if the three of you, either uh, Dan and Stewart in Brooklyn or you in L.A., have run into other types of, like, production problems or challenges that you've had to come up with creative solutions to now that you're recording across the country that you could share? Not so much creative solutions. There's just been like technical deals. Yeah, there's been a lot of technical glitches that I've had to have been bedeviling And also me. I had to explain why you could hear a helicopter passing by my house <laughs> in a I'm, recent episode. I mean, most of the time, it's just Elliot fucking talking and we just have a tape of me going, uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Okay, yeah, dude. <laughs> I have found that, like, it's already hard for me to break in on Elliot talking, but it's even harder when I'm, like, looking at him on a Skype screen because it feels like I'm just watching, like, the Elliot show on television. <laughs> and I kind of forget that it's part of my job to talk to him. That's why, if you'll notice, more often I've been trying to go, what do you think about that, Dan? <laughs> or I'll set up a premise and be like, Dan, what would that be like? Which, in the improv world, is called pimping, and it's frowned upon <laughs> because... Maybe the other person doesn't have something to say, but I, I guess we all learn something tonight. I appreciate um, the impulse. Hey, <laughs> look, every recording I feel like is us jumping off a cliff and hoping there's something we can land on down there. Yeah. So. Uh, I think another problem is we we also because we're not all together we don't we don't always watch the movie all together right before we record, which is what we which used in, to do. Which is in some ways good because it can be fucking exhausting to watch a long movie and then have to talk about it right away. 
And it got to the point where I had to stop drinking during the movies because I'd get so sleepy. Uh, I like the audience is like, aww. <laughs> but the best ones are when Stuart's wasted. But the, uh, but w- so we watch, we often watch them on our own or sometimes Dan and I watch it together, uh, you know, because we're friends. And, uh, but we'll watch it a couple days before the taping and yeah, you, you forget some of the details. Yeah, yeah, it's not fresh in your mind the same way. Mm-hmm. But there's trade-offs with every new development. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> that's the answer. Now, when you hear a good story, it teaches you things about... Oh, hello. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, Emily, last name withheld. Hello. Uh, first of all, welcome to Canada, and I'm very glad that all three of you were able to come. Um, so my question is, given that we're in Toronto, otherwise known as Hollywood North, mm-hmm. <laughs> who, is, who knows it by, by, by that? We do. Okay. That's what we call it. I to say. In Hollywood, I've Don't never heard it called that. Don't buy us as Hollywood North. They're never um, like, visit our northern campus in Toronto. <laughs> I've heard they call Hollywood South Toronto. I would buy that. I believe that. Uh, what are some of your favorite examples of movies that are clearly filmed in Toronto, a.k.a. Hollywood North, or another Canadian city, but are set in a major American city, like New York or Los Angeles? Rumble in the Bronx is the best one. Rumble in the Bronx. A Bronx where the gangs r- ride around in like dune buggies with like colorful streamers. Yeah. Uh, and you can see the mountains. Man- yeah, the <laughs> snow-capped mountains of the Bronx. <laughs> uh, or I would also say your own Frank D'Angelo in his movie, No Deposit, where I guess it's supposed to be like a New York bank, but there's just it's on a road with a tree line right behind it, and it's clearly just like off somewhere in the suburbs. I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere in the Canadian wilderness, there's this, there's this bank, or whatever building he used to stand in for a bank, and it just doesn't look very but I mean, you know, I mean, Rumble of... in the Bronx is so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing, Rumble in the Bronx is a genuinely fun movie, and it there's a certain point where I start to like the fact that it's so clearly not shot in the Bronx. Because it's like, I guess this is like the Jackie Chan version of the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> I, where there's mountains. This has nothing to do with the fact that it's shot in Canada, but I just love the fact that that movie ends with him uh, running a hover, hovercraft over the guy and his butt is showing out uh, because he's chafed the butt off his pants and like everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> like, we've defeated the villain! <laughs> <laughs> like everything's solved now. Uh, also, uh, runner-up every episode of the X Files. Yeah, and they're like, uh, what you know, Langley, Virginia. No, it's not. Come on, Vancouver. The, the Arizona desert. Come on. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Step right up. Getting close to the end here. Dan, Hi, don't advertise your joy at that fact. <laughs> Quite so openly. Hi, Peaches. Uh, Matt, last name withheld. Uh, so good news, uh, Flophouse has been optioned to a major motion picture, but we need a little help with the it screenplay. Has? It has! Have you heard? We did it, everybody! Did yeah! It. Screw this, then! Oh, no, it's the <laughs> Weinstein <laughs> Company. Oh, no. No. Dan, uh, sorry, I talked over your heel click. <laughs> Dan was doing one bit, and I was doing another bit, and when two bits collide, there's just little bits of them lying around everywhere. Just wanted to say, we need some help with the screenplay. I want the save the cat moment for each of you. Save the cat moment for each of us. I guess, what, the thing we got to achieve or the... Well, the thing that endear you as the protagonist early on. Okay. 
Deers us as the protagonist. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't for me. So not be what would happen is I would kick open the door, holding pizza, and say, "Who wants pizza?" <laughs> I, I would be unsafe because we would open up the pizza, and unfortunately, half the pizza's already been eaten by me. <laughs> I feel like that would be unsafe because the audience in the theater would jump out of the seats and rush to the screen for the pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And rip through it, a la Gremlins. I feel like mine would be like mine's like too real. Like I would just be like. It would be like a just revealing my bachelor lifestyle. Like it'd be one of those things where you like you see me coming home, opening the fridge, looking in, and it's a wall of condiments on the wall mm-hmm. and no actual food in the fridge. Like this is what happens when you become a single man: is you have three different types of mustard and nothing that you would put the mustard on. So you're telling me that in the movie, a single man. Colin Firth, otherwise a very stylish and put-together person, yeah. has just a refrigerator full of condiments. Yeah. And he's just standing in his beautifully tailored suits, what, over the sink, just pouring ketchup into his mouth? <laughs> or relish. I mean, he is Colin Firth, right? Yeah, maybe it's relish, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think for me, it'd be still just showing me with my happy home life, family. Oh, God. <laughs> refrigerator full of delicious foodstuffs. And then it all gets... Yeah, and then email inbox brimming <laughs> yeah. with notifications oh, from friends. Too many, too many social occasions to deal with. Oh, so I'm sorry, Dan. Dan has stepped behind the screen, which would also be a great name for your bio, behind the screen. Uh, yeah, and then that would all be taken away from me in a moment. I'd have to get it back. Oh, no. Book of Job style. <laughs> Who'd taken my fight to God himself. <laughs> Here, Gold, we'll call you. Okay, thank you. Now I kind of want to make an action movie out of the Book of Job. And it's like, uh-oh, behemoths in town. God's all bragging about how he created behemoths and everything. Anyway, anyway, not, a lot, of, not a lot of Bible scholars in the audience. <clears throat> Hello there, uh, Jeff, last name withheld. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is L.A. Confidential. And this is a movie that basically Kim Basinger was the only person that anybody heard of in the movie. But then everyone else in the movie became huge, at least mm-hmm. for a few years in certain cases. What like other James movie? Cromwell. Exactly. Like, teenage girls were putting posters of James Cromwell on their back thing. They were ripping down, I don't know who teenage girls liked in the early and late 90s. I don't know. Richard Marks? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think you're very Canadian, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, what are some other movies that featured a lot of unknowns that it was their big star break? Well, looking back, it's weird that, like, Saving Private Ryan has a fair amount of that. Like, Vin Diesel is in that mm. before he was Vin Diesel. And you watch it now, and you're like, a lot of stuff for Vin Diesel to do in this movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, right, because he wasn't Vin Diesel yet. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's a, or like, Dazed and Confused, people talk about a lot. Where it's like, it's got a ton of future stars. But then also these, like, locals that you never heard from again. This goes to show you can go two ways in this life. Sometimes she's a grizzly man. Sometimes she's a bartender on Cheers. <laughs> I, just watched, uh, I just watched Working Girl recently. And, uh, like, there's a young Kevin Spacey in it. That's really great. Yeah, it's easy to think of, like, ones where there's just, like, one or two people. Like, it's harder to come up with it. Like, like I, I, my brain went to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but then I'm like, well, it's not like Judge Reinhold became, like, the toast of Hollywood or something like that. He was in, Dude, he was in Vice Versa. Yeah, <laughs> he, was the, he was on the poster for Vice Versa. <laughs> and he puts that on his resume. I was on the poster for Vice Versa. <laughs> Special skills can appear on posters. <laughs> Special skills. <laughs> Cameras will photograph me. Yeah. 
But uh, I guess, yeah, there's a, it's, it's fun to watch those movies back, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know all these people were in this movie. Yeah. I thought they were just nobodies. Turns out there were somebodies in the making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm being very pithy, and you guys are not liking it very no. much. <laughs> thank you. Last question. You're full of pith. Uh, Andre, last name withheld? Uh, in Sicilian Vampire, there is definitely an element of, wow, how did they get James Caan? Uh, what formally... Money! Money! <laughs> There's a certain thing that anyone, no matter how great an artist, needs to survive. Uh, especially if, like James Caan, they had a very messy divorce very recently. Or not recently, I don't know. He blames his divorce for doing that movie. I don't know. But money. Anyway, sorry. What formerly Oscar-nominated but currently washed-up actor would you really like to get to guest star on the Flophouse to make everyone go, wow, how did they get that guy or girl? Ooh. I mean, I feel like we would... I, <laughs> there are plenty of actors who uh, are in that same family of, like, we'll work for food. The, you, you know, the like... The Baldwin family? <laughs> yeah, the Baldwin family. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, F. Murray Abraham, brilliant in Amadeus. Like, will appear in anything. Will appear in your Domino's Pizza commercial if you, <laughs> if you pay him in Domino's Pizza. <laughs> uh, I don't think you should be his agent anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Mer F, F, remember to mail me my slice. That's my commission. <laughs> you said you, you drove a hard bargain for me. Why all the pizzas? <laughs> <laughs> so is that who you'd want on the show? Uh, who would you yeah. want? Who do you want? You F. Murray Abraham? I'm sure, he's a lot of good stories. Yeah, man, he's a great actor. Why? Why do you think that's surprising? F. Murray Abraham. This is not the name I expect you to say. We're talking about Oscar-nominated actors, right? Oscar-winning. Oscar-winning. So I would say Lance Henriksen. Uh, <laughs> uh, hold on. Hold on. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna politically check this one. <laughs> didn't he win for what? Millennium? Was that a that show? A Can that show. win? Oh, Pumpkinhead. He won it for Pumpkinhead, <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah, Best supporting vengeful but he, dad. For he had four Pinocchios for this. I just recently watched Pumpkinhead, and I was like, man, I wish Lance Henriksen was in more stuff. I should see what he's doing now. But then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's an old guy. He might be a bad person to like now. So I didn't look it up. I'm ignorant. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, uh, it's my understanding that he mostly just does pottery now. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. So he's, a, he's like Peter Weller, where Peter Weller was like, I'm tired of being a RoboCop. I'm going to go to archaeology school. Yeah. And then he went on to direct a bunch of episodes of Sons of Anarchy. Oh, did he? Yeah. I guess he was like, I'm tired of archaeology. Time to get back into Tinseltown. <laughs> Thought I'd get a lot more fame and glory from all this archaeology. I watched all those writers, uh, those Indiana Jones movies, and I got the wrong impression. Uh, yeah, I thought archaeologists lived an exciting life, mm-hmm. and he threw a, uh, an old pot that he had discovered down, and it cracked into pieces. Lance Henriksen walked by and was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I can do something with that. And a great potter was born. Harry Potter. <laughs> the world's favorite boy wizard. Son of Beatrix Potter. <laughs> yeah. That's words weird. do sound like other words, guys. They certainly do. Yeah. In this language, I don't know if it works in other languages. Um, I, I'm having trouble thinking of anybody, but I'm sure there's tons of them. You know, it's like uh, you always had lots of people winning Oscars, and then, you know, it's hard to sustain that sort of thing. But I'll think of one, and I will announce it to the heavens <laughs> at a later date, and hopefully you'll, you'll hear it. You'll think of one, you'll write it on a piece of paper, you'll pour some poutine over it, and you'll mail it back to this gentleman. <laughs> yeah. But I get to eat the rest of the poutine, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, he that's just part said of the some. Deal. He didn't say all of it. Okay. Not even most, though, right? 
Because I want as big a portion as I can get. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about your portion of poutine off air. More than one quarter. Portion. <laughs> it's a Star Wars reference, Dan. Sorry. Okay, I'm done. Uh, so that's anyway, our show, I guess. Thank you for the question. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, As always, another... Oh, thank you. Another flop house ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper, <laughs> as I beg for my nightly poutine, and Dan tries to keep me honest. Uh, this will mean nothing to the listeners at home who listen to this later on, but uh, we will be hanging out a little bit after the show at the Monarch Bar, which is just around the corner. Yep. If you want to say hi, that's where we'll be. Uh, yeah, come see gonna... us on the second floor, I believe. Yes. Uh, but uh, just... You yeah, still want to thank everyone for coming just out. thank people coming out and thank the theater for having and us. And be, like, nice to them this time. <laughs> think about what you would want someone to say to you and then say it to them. <laughs> they came I love the you show. guys. <laughs> uh, no, thank you for coming out. Thanks to, to Canada for letting us into your borders. Thanks to Toronto specifically for uh, having us here. Thanks to the Royal Theater. That's where we're at, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they've been really nice and really helpful and really welcoming. And, uh, and uh, is there anything going on in the lobby that we should, we should mention? You want to oh, say, yeah. you say, go Maple Leafs or something? They would love that. They would love that. Go Maple Leafs. Uh, they loved it. Okay, say something about Raptors. <laughs> 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 I won't say sorry. I can't. I can't get. In, I can't open that can of worms again. Uh, we should just wrap up, right? Yeah. That's, uh, thank that's you for coming. <laughs> and uh, we're really awkward. Should, so thank, thank every thank the theater. I thank the theater already. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You guys are setting me up to fail. Okay, figured it out. All right, we should probably go then. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Uh, is he still selling stuff? I don't know. We don't know whether he's still selling stuff, but if he is, Tony Oker was selling some stuff outside. And who are you? Uh, oh, I'm I've Dan been McCoy. And I've been Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and I've been Elliot Kalin. This is a mess. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Very educational. I was not expecting that. I'm gonna check your notes after this. Oh, about the about your podcast or your about your podcast <laughs> about your podcast. We rehearsed this bit before, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I totally messed it up. This is the classes the classes. Dan, all right. Do you need to sit down for a little bit, guys? Okay, maybe right. everybody leave for like five minutes. <laughs> well, we we do we do this a lot before the podcast, which you guys don't know about. Is Stuart and I have to shrink down. Tiny size, get in Dan's mouth and subdue his tongue <laughs> so that it will listen to the commands he gives it and that doesn't go rogue. I make my living with words, people. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Dan, this... was that the basis of the hit film Rogue Tongue? A Star Wars tale? <sighs> I don't even know whether jokes work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.